Thanks for tuning into the Flip King Real Estate Radio. Whether you're a beginner or seasoned real estate vet, we are looking to help you grow your business and better your life with real world deal examples, tools and tricks for your daily business, and good old fashioned motivation to get you in the game. We're here to see your real estate business grow to fit your lifestyle, whether for straight cash or cash flow. Grab a pen and notebook and get ready to grow. It's the Flip King Real Estate Radio Show. Now, here's your host, Joe Evangelisti. Hey, what's up, guys? Joe Evangelisti from Flip King Real Estate Radio, checking in with you. Beautiful fall afternoon day here in southern New Jersey, hanging out in my new office space back of my house. Just had a wood-burning fireplace installed, so you might hear some crackling in the background with the uh, with the wood burning, and it's just an, just an awesome afternoon here, hanging out. Enjoying the fall weather, enjoying my favorite season of the year. Leaves are changing, everything's turning yellow and orange and red. Beautiful scenery. Had a great uh, had a great trip down to the shore this morning. Checked on one of our latest and greatest rehab projects. Just came together, hit the market this weekend. Those of you who follow along know that I love to do that kind of stuff. Just checking on projects, driving around, taking a look at things. A little bit different than a lot of the virtual guys out there who want to work from different states, but that's all cool. Everybody's different, and uh, you know we each have our own way and we each have our own methods. So, I want to talk a little bit about today with you guys um, to kind of tie into a blog post that I wrote this week. Um, and problems that investors are encountering when they're doing their rehabs, uh, especially new investors. Not even just new investors; could be new or seasoned investors. Um, all different, all different uh, levels uh, encounter the same kind of things, um, but I do find that there are some some problems that are that are consistent across the business, and we all have to constantly keep ourselves um, on top of. And you know, and I think that you know whether you're totally brand new or you bought a hundred houses, there's just certain things that we all kind of fall into. Our egos carry us in one certain direction, or you know, uh, the numbers sound so good or the deal seems so good. And, you know, you tend to, you tend to maybe overpay if it's in a certain neighborhood or if it's in your neighborhood or if it's, you know, whatever the case may be. But there's a couple pitfalls, a couple problems that investors make when rehabbing. And I wanted to kind of touch base on, on, on a few of those today. And hopefully no matter what level you're at, you get something out of it and, uh, you start to think about these things moving forward. Um, problem number one is, I see this a lot and I just kind of mentioned it a minute ago. It's, it's falling in love with the property. And I think that this problem is never going to go away. I still have this problem to this day. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I just checked out a property the other day that I, I really fell in love with it. It was in the right area. It was the right size. It was, you know, the right place that I wanted to be. And I kept convincing myself that it was worth more than the numbers said it was worth. Right. So you gotta be very, very careful about that. That can get you in a lot of trouble if you're overpaying for properties. So, you know, you gotta figure out your ARV, you gotta figure out your multiplier, and it's gonna be different for every area. Every every uh, investor has a different multiplier. And you're gonna have to figure out your repairs, right? Those are the big numbers that you need to know in order to come up with an offer. You know, a lot of times if I'm within a couple thousand dollars of whatever that number is that I determine is my maximum allowable offer, you'll hear people, you'll hear people called an MAO or maximum allowable offer. That's kind of the number that you dictate the property's worth. So if, if you do the math and you find out 
on paper that the property is worth eighty thousand dollars, let's say, and you know you really really want it, and the seller is going to be stuck at a hundred grand. Well, then that might be something that you have to really strongly consider walking away from. You know, I mean, unless there's a $200,000 upside, but if you did your numbers correctly, the numbers don't lie. The numbers are what the numbers are. So if you're $20,000 apart and you decide that you want to take a risk on that, that's $20,000 that's going to come out of your initial multiplier, initial spread, um, you know, with your holding costs, your interest, your taxes, uh, all that kind of good stuff, and your profit are built into that initial spread. So if you're 20 grand apart, you really have to consider. Now, there's times where I've been two or 3,000 apart on a $300,000, dollars deal, and you might want to you know, tweak it a little bit just because you want to get the deal and you know that it's a good deal. But any time that I'm more than maybe five or $6,000 apart, I'm extremely second-guessing myself unless it's a huge, huge uh, purchase. Again, you got to look at what your threshold is, but be very, very careful about falling in love with property. We, we get ourselves caught up with our ego. We, we want certain pieces of property in certain locations, and you know we think we're going to add it to our portfolio or whatever the case may be. And what we find out is that sometimes that's the most detrimental type of investing you can do is when you start to overpay for things. So the number one, I'm going to tell you, the number one problem I see amongst most real estate investors, I don't care if you're new, young, or old, I've been doing this a long time, people tend to fall in love with property. So be very, very careful about that. Also fall in love with keeping property. You know, if you're, if you have a good ability to sell something, whether or not you really love it or not, if it fits the, the business model it, uh, or, or, or your model and, and, the, and the pro forma looks good and what you're selling it for, you know, there's a good spread there, then don't get stuck in the ego of saying, Oh, I love this property. I mean, if you're in the business of buying and selling properties and you can make a significant profit by selling it, well, then there's also that there's also a cause for selling it there too. So, you know, just be careful again with falling in love with properties. Number two thing that I, that I kind of see a lot, um, is people trying to save money on the wrong things. And this can go both ways. This can be with finishes. Um, this could be with, um, subcontractors on the site hiring the cheapest guy or buying the cheapest materials or doing it the cheapest way. A lot of times when you're trying to save money and you're doing it on the wrong things, you end up spending more money than you would have if you just did it right the first time. Um, so, you know, be very, very mindful of your budget and what you're spending money on. I say this in my, in my uh, rehab videos from uh, leveluptraining.com. We talk about over-improving on your rehabs. I see so far too many people that are still to this day buying properties. And again, this is going to be different everywhere in the country. But in the Northeast, it's very rare that you need to buy a property and gut it down to the studs. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen that happen. I can't tell you how many people I've seen do that. And they think that there's some necessity for you to buy a house and tear it all the way down to the studs. The truth could not be further away. Uh, most of the time, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish by tearing it down to the studs, you can accomplish with, with the plaster or the sheetrock up. If you want to insulate, nowadays they drill holes and they spray insulation in. If you want to run your plumbing and your electric, you can cut chases or you can pull wire. You don't need to break out all of the sheetrock in the entire house. A couple different costs that are associated with that that people never think of. A, you're going to have a much, much bigger sheetrock bill, obviously, because you're re-sheetrocking the whole thing. B, you're going to have a much, much larger dumpster bill because it takes a lot more dumpster space to take all that plaster or lath or, or drywall and throw it away somewhere once you gut it. 
Um, C, you're going to have a, a much higher labor bill because your demo crew is going to have to tear out the entire house, all the drywall, and then pull all the individual screws and nails out of the walls in order to prep the walls for the next phase of sheetrock. Um, another thing about that is now you're retrimming the entire house. See, when we buy older houses and we keep the sheetrock, we're not just keeping the sheetrock. Most of the time we're keeping the trim, the casings, certain baseboards, crown moldings, and things like that that are in good shape and we're going to repaint them. When you go gutting something down to the studs, you have none of that left. So now you're paying to retrim the whole house. So I've heard this argument a million times and it makes me crazy. People will say, oh, it only cost me an extra three grand to sheetrock the house. Well, that's complete horse shit because I guarantee you it took thousands and thousands of dollars when you add up all the additional costs that it took to gut that thing down to the studs. And what did you really save at the end? So that's one of the things that I would say is, is saving money, spending, spending money on the wrong things, or you think you're saving money and you're doing the wrong things. That would be number one. Number two is moving walls where you don't have to. I really try to preach this when you're looking at rehab homes to try to make sure that you have a pretty quasi-usable floor plan. If you're reinventing the floor plan, you're going to spend money on stuff that essentially the buyer's never even going to realize you did. If you have to move walls and change things and add beams and create rooms where they didn't they didn't exist to begin with, the end product might be beautiful, but the thousands and thousands of dollars that you'll spend in engineering and labor and materials and subcontractors trying to make that floor plan work is not going to come back to you at the end unless you have a huge spread potential property and you're looking to do major, major renovation. I'm talking your run-of-the-mill rehab where you go in and you do an aesthetic makeover with a kitchen and baths and carpet and paint and windows. You know, we try not to, 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 to totally... Um, upset the original floor plan if possible. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't take down a wall if it's non-load-bearing. And in certain circumstances, we won't try to open up a kitchen that does have a load-bearing wall and put a beam in. Something small like that if it adds tremendous value because you want that open floor plan. But what I am saying is if you decide to go into the house and, and put the kitchen in one of the bedrooms and open up another bedroom and make it a living room and move the bedrooms where the old living room was, people aren't going to get the benefit of that and see it and understand it and they're not going to pay you for it. The end product might be wonderful, but when you do major, major rehabs, you have to make sure you have major, major upside potential. So most rehabs that I see don't require a whole lot of re reformatting of the floor plan. Um, so you want to be very, very careful about that. Um, some other things people like to spend money on that I think are a little bit crazy and a little bit out of, out of the ordinary. You know, you don't need to spend money. Ceramic tile nowadays um, you know, two, three dollars a foot. People are spending eight, nine dollars a foot on special custom tile, uh, on the, on the field, on the floors and the walls. Yeah, you're gonna spend 10, 15, 20 dollars on the special glass tiles, but you use those to highlight the, the, the two dollar a foot tile, not to do the whole wall or not to do the whole floor. Um, so be very careful about that. And then really just hiring cheap subcontractors because if the people you hire are the cheapest and they don't have a great track record and they screw it up, and you have to do it twice, most people that I know of don't go into a rehab budgeting to do it twice. So, you know, don't always take the cheapest subcontractor just because they're the cheapest. Make sure you vet them 
And I'm not saying at some point in time you might take the cheapest subcontractor, but it also because you know what their work is by then or you know, you've worked with them in the past and they gave you a discount. So just be, be mindful of hiring the cheapest person out there and expecting them to get the job done the same way the guy who's a little bit more pricey is. And you're going to find when you get those guys that are in the mid-level pricing, they're also going to be the most loyal and they're going to hang out with you for a long time. So. Um, it's, 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 you're killing two birds with one stone by hiring, you know, a middle tier contractor rather than just the bottom, the bottom price. Problem number three kind of goes along with what I just said with problem number two, which is ignoring the people that you should be selling it to. So a lot of, a lot of rehabbers are just overdeveloping for their neighborhood. Okay. And I can tell you this from a broker's perspective and from a rehabber's perspective that there are times where you don't have to put in granite. You know, there is a price point in my neighborhood, let's say anywhere under $150,000, where granite is not necessity. And a lot of rehabbers will talk themselves into, well, the granite only costs an extra X amount of dollars more, and it's going to look so much better. I can tell you guys from experience that I've shown houses to that price point and a lot of different buyers in that price point in my neighborhood. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a property that had that nicer looking for mica and the buyer had to ask me if it was, if it was for mica or granite. Okay. And, and that's, and that's fine. That, that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not digging on that type of buyer or that price point or whatever, but my point is that most buyers under a certain threshold don't know the difference between granite and, 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 and formica. They don't know the difference between ceramic or, uh, vinyl flooring. You know, they don't know the difference between high end carpet and low end carpet. There's a certain level where they just want new, fresh, and clean. So if you're going to spend an extra $20,000 to make that size house really pop and put glass tile and granite and, 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 and ceramic tile and make the place absolutely the way you would want to live there, a lot of that stuff's going to go right over the buyer's head and you're not going to actually make more money because of it. A lot of times they just want to see new, fresh, and clean in a certain price point. Now the flip side of that is if you're in the $800,000 price point and you put vinyl in the kitchen, you're never going to sell the house, right? So know your, know your, your end user. Know the person that you think is going to buy the property. Are they blue collar? Are they white collar? Are they going to be in that development because they want the school system? Are they going to be there just because it's a better place than where they used to rent? You know, is it a step up from where they used to be? What is your buyer looking for? Because a lot of times I really firmly believe the buyer is looking for something clean and fresh and not necessarily the most expensive material money can buy. So spend the money on your laborers and spend a little less money on your, on your materials in certain places. You know, use quality cabinets, but you know, decide maybe you want to use a little lesser quality, um, you know, sink and countertops and things like that. Um, or, you know, a little bit lower of a grade appliances, you know, new appliances or new appliances to, to a certain price point. They don't care if there's a brand name on there. Heck, they don't even care if the brand names match because they're, they're newer appliances. So just be mindful of who you're selling it to. And then the fourth thing that I'm going to talk about today is just being prepared, being prepared altogether. You know, I'm, you know, you guys hear me say all the time, ready, fire, aim. And you know that that that's not that's not a segue for not being prepared. That's not an excuse for not being prepared. I do want to see people take action, but take take um, calculated risks and calculated action. You know, if you're going to go do a rehab, make sure you know what you're getting into. Don't overanalyze it to the point that you lose the deal, but do have a firm grasp of what you're doing. So if you're not great at taking estimates, then bring someone along who is. 
If you're not great at figuring out what someone's going to cost, then then bring your contractor, bring another fellow investor, get some opinions on it, and then when you figure it's going to take forty grand, put a budget of fifty grand together. You know, over overcompensate for the what ifs. So too many people get in not prepared. They have, let's say, a forty thousand dollar budget to rehab. They borrow thirty five thousand because they're afraid to ask their investor for the extra five grand. So they're upside down to start with. Then it costs them ten thousand dollars more to do the deal than they thought it was going to. So now they're $15,000 upside down. And then they sell the house for 10,000 less than they thought they could, you know, and they break even. Be prepared going in on these deals. Be very cautious about what things are gonna cost and what things might be necessary. Make sure that you do a good inspection of the house when you do a walkthrough and give yourself a contingency. Give yourself a little cushion in the budget to make sure that you're covered. Um, because in the first couple deals, I never want to see someone get burnt for two reasons. One, you might lose your shirt and you might not be able to come invest again. And two, you might just lose the uh, the, the gumption and the will to continue investing because you feel like you did it wrong the first time. And, you know, I hate to see people make, make a mistake once and then back out of the business. Um, so... Anyway, I hope these uh, tips help you guys out when you're out looking and shopping for rehabs. You know, as always, make sure you hit us up at theflipking.com, our radio show, our podcast, and all of our blog materials are on there. And then also, if you're in the, in the business already and you want to get to that next level, visit leveluprealestatetraining.com. That's leveluprealestatetraining.com. And you can check out all of our trainings that are available to you there. You know, again, feel free to hit me up at, the, at my email, joe at theflipking.com. We love to converse back and forth with people that are in the business that are doing it. Love the great feedback we're getting. Please leave comments at the iTunes um, radio uh, store about this podcast. I like to keep it short. I'll bring you one again next week. I hope until then you guys keep hustling, and I'll talk soon.